A reading from Proverbs. Wisdom cries out in the street. In the squares, she raises her voice. At the busiest corner, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof. I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, and because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. When panic strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. The word of the Lord. Psalm 19, we will read responsively by the half verse as indicated by the asterisk. The heavens declare the glory of God. One day tells its tale to another. Although they have no words or language, their sound has gone out into all lands. In the deep has God set a pavilion for the sun. It goes forth from the uttermost edge of the heavens and runs about to the end of it again. The law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are just and rejoice the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. More to be desired are they than gold, more than much fine gold. By them also is your servant enlightened. Can people tell how often they offend? Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight.
reading from James. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes is speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large, what it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of inequity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and has set itself on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this not not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And Jesus sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their, their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today's gospel is actually 
directly in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. That is to say, it's the fold line on which the front and the back come, not just um, by emphasis, but by verse count. This is the verse in the very middle, and Jesus asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? It's as if Mark is inviting not only them, but us to answer that question. As you know, we have four Gospels in the Bible. There are a few others that we've discovered. It's almost though as Mark is asking there to be as many different Gospels as there are people. If you ever remember of a Brotherhood of St. Andrews a while ago, you know there was always the Gospel according to Needler, in which Jim Needler would describe his take on all of this as if the Mark is asking there to be the gospel according to Myra and the gospel according to Sandy and the gospel according to Larry. And of course, each gospel according to us is aimed at answering the question, who do we say Jesus is? Now, Peter's right. You're the Messiah. But you get that he's only partly right. <laughs> He thinks that Jesus is going to deliver Israel from all their problems. He thinks Jesus is going to overthrow the tyranny of Rome. He thinks Jesus is going to make sure that all of the people who are suffering political uh, tyranny, abuses of power, all that's going to be resolved. So that when Jesus says, hey, you're right, but I'm going to suffer and die. Peter says, no, you got that wrong. <laughs> That's not what the Messiah does. The Messiah answers our prayers. The Messiah goes down our prayer list and gives us what we want. The Messiah is the one that makes us healthy, wealthy, and wise. So Jesus, what's this business about you suffering? And Jesus' reply today is, Get behind me. <laughs> Get behind me, because you don't have in mind the things of God. You have in mind the things of people. Or put a different way. Instead of praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're praying for your will to be done on earth and in heaven. And then he says something really kind of persnickety, right? If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> I thought I'd try this for the morning. By the way, I don't recommend it at home. This one's really heavy. <laughs> uh, it turns out, actually, that uh, the church that I grew up in thought that this was a really good way to follow the commandment. Uh, I remember when I was 12, we brought into my youth group someone who, in fact, this was his ministry, he carried one of these things around across the United States. Now, he did put a wheel on the bottom, but he would log like 26 miles a day with this thing. That's what he did. He walked around and carried this because he was bearing testimony that we should take up our cross and follow Jesus. As a teenager, I thought, well, I don't know that I can do that. But what we did get taught is that we were supposed to be almost radically up front with our Christian identity. You may not have had this experience, and I kind of hope not, but um, 
It was really important for me, and nobody else in my youth group seemed to do this, but it was really important for me to identify as a Christian all the time. So I didn't wear the necklace, mind you, but I did wear Christian t-shirts. And I listened to Christian music (laughs) all of the time so that people could identify me as radically following Jesus. And you know what's interesting is I had friends in my youth group and we'd go to these events where people were very upfront. Almost one of the first things they would tell you is, I'm a follower of Jesus. And I had this mentor who was really a great person, but I remember every time I would see him, even if it had just been a couple hours, he would say, Mike, are you in love with Jesus? I mean, that's how he greeted everybody. As much as that was identifying us as followers of Jesus, there was something else I noticed. Some of the most um, vocal and adamant um, people about doing this were also amazingly cruel. I don't know if you've ever met this before. The words they use to describe other people particularly if they weren't displaying the kind of faith that, that they thought was right, were incredibly were demeaning, harsh. Not just that they're going to hell, but that they should. Isn't that an interesting thing? Not just that they were going to hell forever, but that they should should. The interesting thing about our readings today is that we get to hear about taking up our cross one time, but all the other ones talk about the words that we use. Beginning in Proverbs, you know, um, wisdom cries out in the street, listen to me. And then if you notice, if you don't listen to wisdom, wisdom will mock you. I don't think that's right. I think that's what knowledge does. And often I think we get confused on those points. My dad told me as a young boy, and I think this is in some way this is right, is that wisdom essentially is the ability to use knowledge. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love and wisdom build So think through that knowledge has allowed us to split an atom. Let's suppose that wisdom is the principle by which we use that holy power, for better or for worse. I did grow up with quite an appreciation for sarcasm. I just think it's delightful. And then I learned in, in this teaching class I was in one time, the instructor was really bold and said, there is no room for sarcasm in the classroom. Well, I disagreed, because I knew how to use it right. <laughs> of course, what I didn't realize, right, is that if you use it one time at one person's expense, don't you see no one else is safe? I would tell you the same is true 
about gossip. There have been times in my life where I thought, oh, I can talk about people A with my friend B, because that's just between us. <laughs> but of course, as you all know, if you'll talk about person A, what's going to stop you from talking about person B? The truth is, if we do it once, nobody is safe. So I'm going to tell you I disagree with Proverbs. I didn't believe wisdom mocks anybody. And particularly because I've got family members, and these are the people who I would wash my hands of, except we're related. When I try my best to help them, and they don't listen, and they make the very mistakes I was afraid of, I do not say, you got what you deserved. I say, woe is me. And woe is you when I'm doing my best thinking. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I've had some very close people who have made mistakes and I've wanted them to get punished so that the linear world I live in can be validated. But when I step back, doesn't mercy triumph over judgment? And so we hear today in Psalms, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. And sometimes we miss this. We miss that heart in the Hebrew Bible doesn't mean our feelings. Our heart in the Hebrew Bible is the center of our will, not our feeling. Where is your will centered? I think my will's right here. This is the commitments that I make. So may the meditations of my mind be pleasing and acceptable to you. And then James says it even more stronger, doesn't he? Our tongue is set on fire with the fire of hell. Hell is not, in the Bible, an image of torture. It's an image of destruction. Our tongue threatens to destroy. Not just other people, don't you see? Ourselves. The words and the meditations that we use aren't just hurtful to other people. They threaten us. And so James says, if you can get everything you say just right, you'll be perfect. Maybe it would be better if we took a vow of silence. <laughs> of course, there's this old joke, you know, about the guy who goes to the Trappist Monastery. He's allowed to say eight words in eight years. So after two years, he goes to the abbot and he says, room cold. Two years later, he goes to the abbot and he says, food cold. In his sixth year, he goes to the abbot and he says, I quit. <laughs> and the abbot says, that's just fine. All you've done is complain for six years anyway. <laughs> now to this cross business. We have a lot of, frankly, gross mistakes, I think, about what this means. For one thing, crosses didn't even look like this. And I can tell you, they didn't weigh as much as this one does. This could be a way to get your core strong, but I'm not sure that carrying this around all day would do much for your faith. 
The cross is not just some sort of suffering or heavy thing. You know, we do have this phrase like, oh, I'm just carrying my cross. And we sometimes seem to think that God is delighted in us just suffering. That's at the root of what we do for Lent. We give up something we love because, after all, God's so happy when we're miserable. (laughs) Boy, I don't think that's right, and nobody else is either. Um, This is something really different, you know. It turns out the only way you got one of these things in the ancient world was if you committed a capital crime of treason against the government. It's not even equivalent to say, take up your electric chair and follow me, because you can get the electric chair for murdering people, you know. It's not equivalent to say, take up your lethal injection and follow me. You can get that for being a serial killer. The only way you got one of these guys right here in the ancient world was if you were a traitor or you tried to lead a rebellion. Now, I know what you're thinking. Hey, Mike, the gospel says there were two bandits or thieves crucified next to Jesus. That's really a terrible translation of that word. In Greek, that word really does mean insurrectionists. There were two other people who were going to be messiahs crucified next to Jesus. And that's how they got one of these. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? Take up your cross, that is, commit treason. I don't think Jesus is trying to inspire Al-Qaeda. I don't think Jesus is trying to make us Marxist-Leninists and overthrow the government. I think what Jesus is saying is that the mark of a disciple is not that we carry around a symbol. The mark of a disciple is that we resist powers oppression, powers that threaten and subjugate the children and creatures of God, knowing that it may not work out well for us. Please notice the kind of insurrectionist Jesus was. The crowd tried to make him king by force, and he ran away. Jesus did not become terrorist, a guerrilla. Jesus did not foment some kind of political insurrection. But boy, he sure called out the powers on what they were doing. And in the end, those powers weren't very happy with him. He knew. He knew what happens when you say the emperor is wearing no clothes. And he continued to say it. Notice he doesn't tell us to carry his cross. He asks us to carry our own. I don't know what your cross is. I want to tell you, if your cross is suffering just to suffer, put it down. If you find yourself gasping for breath, and bleeding, and no one's getting any life out of it, stop it. Because no one's getting any life out of it, least of all, you. When I think about the rest of the the readings today, I don't know that God needs us to go out with bumper stickers and, and 
big poster boards. At least that's not the cross I need to carry. The other lections are about the words of our mouths and whether or not wisdom builds up or whether it puffs up. What's my cross to carry? I don't know that I only have one. I got some minor ones. I think it's pretty countercultural to admit when we did the wrong thing and to apologize. I think it's pretty countercultural to say, I'm sorry. Boy, I don't know. I do know what I was thinking, and it was the wrong thing. I'm sorry. That may not be as heavy as this. You read that in the papers very much? You imagine somebody running for Congress ever saying, you're right, I made the wrong decision. I'm sorry, I've learned since then. I promise to do better. Oh, Mike, that'd be admitting weakness, would it? Or would it be admitting the fact that as human beings, we grow? That's minor. You might never win an office doing it. Hmm. Maybe that's part of it. Be willing to commit treason to the rules of engagement because it's right. Boy, I got another one for you. <laughs> one that I'm working on. Especially because we're coming up we're only like two months away from Thanksgiving. Words of gratitude. I'm real good at saying thank you. I'm not always really good at meaning it. I'm really good at writing a thank you note within 48 hours of getting a gift. I'm not real good at letting gifts sink in. Maybe, if you're like me, taking up your cross is delaying that thank you note until the gift can actually sink in and reform you. If you're not like me, maybe taking up your cross in a small way is writing a thank you note. <laughs> These are small, small things. You know, sometimes when I hear a point of view that's different from mine, I know I disagree. Sometimes I sure feel like the person who said it is stupid. And if I say that, I am truly representing my feelings. <laughs> it is true that I feel that you are stupid. Is that the truth? Are my feelings the truth? This is an interesting thing as a Rotary member. I don't know. Has anybody been in Rotary before? Just out of curiosity. One. Okay. <laughs> At the end of every Rotary meeting, there's something called the four-way test of the things we say or do. Number one. Is it the truth? Feelings, while real, are very rarely true because they change and go away. Is it the truth? Is it fair for all concerned? 
Boy, that's an interesting one. That starts to make things heavier. <laughs> I was okay with truth, but now I've got to be fair for everybody? Including the perpetrator? Including the person who I really feel is stupid? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? That's heavy to carry, isn't it? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Well, it'll make me feel better to say it. Does that count? Man, I love to talk about my feelings, especially when I get to condemn other people. But will it build goodwill and better friendships? You know, friends, the truth is, there may be more important things than this. There may be more important things we could do to make the world resemble God's imagination than focusing on what we say or what we write in an email. I don't know if we're doing those things either. <laughs> so maybe this is a starting place. Maybe this is a starting place for us to think God, instead of doing some tangible sign so that everybody knows that I go to a particular brand of Christianity, could I instead engage in a sign that is very countercultural to the way people talk in politics, in op-eds, in the workplace? Could I use words that are wise, that build up other people. In so doing, of course, we build up ourselves. Could I avoid language that is set on fire by hell itself and threatens to destroy other people wholesale? And of course, as you know, there is a backdraft to language. A backdraft that threatens to burn up the goodness in ourselves as well. You might have a better cross to carry, but it might be a good start as we try to follow Jesus this year.